Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Periodic Talks. Hi, I'm Gillian Jacobs. And I'm Deanna Reasonover. This is Periodic Talks. Each week we rediscover our passion for science, tech, engineering, math, and this week, game design. It's STEM for those of us who know the Pythagorean theorem, but not how to do our taxes. A squared plus B squared equals you're going to jail if you don't do it right. (laughs) How was your week, Ben? It was really good. I did something sort of exciting, and I'm going (gasps) to show you a picture. Okay, great. I went to the beach. You did? Yes, I did. And while I was at the beach, and this is what this is what this podcast does is actually like I was like looking around and I was thinking about our interview with Dr. O'Connor mm-hmm. and I was like, "Hey, some of these are sedimentary rocks." Oh. I wonder if any of these are fossils, if there's any <laughs> fossils here on this beach. And I found a rock. And I here it is. Can you see it? Yes. Yes. Do you want to describe what it looks like? It looks like a kind of thick rock. I don't know how to describe it. Like a, a gray rock. It looks kind of thick. Yeah. Um, is that fair to say it's wide? Yeah, it's pretty wide. It's like as wide as my hand. Yeah. Ooh, and it's got layers. Yeah, you Ooh. can see the different layers of like sediment and like some of it looks like sand, kind of <gasps> like like kind of gray and tan stripes on the side. And I said, this is the kind of rock that would have a fossil in it. And so I took it and I brought it home and I got a hammer and I smashed it up. And guess what I found? What, what? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. (laughs) (laughs) Just a rock. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely convinced I was about to like, I was like, I can't wait. But you know what? The cool thing was it made the beach very exciting because I was like looking at all the rocks and like thinking of things and yeah. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> That's awesome. Mine's much more mundane, um, which is, you know, the the sponge holders that you put on your the side of your sink and they have they have the suction cups. Yes. I don't know for you. For me, they never seem to work and they always like one of them won't stick and they kind of slide <laughs> and the sponge always falls out. Yeah. And so I thought. I'm a scientist now because of this podcast. And I was like, what I need is a magnetic sponge holder. Maybe that'll work because I have a stainless steel um, sink. So I bought one online. But then I realized on the thing it was like magnets won't hold on stainless steel. So essentially what you have to do is glue a magnet to the side of your sink. And then that has a magnet and the holder has a magnet. So I didn't really (laughs) understand the principles of stainless steel well enough to know that a magnet wouldn't stick. But I'm going to try this new version. I'll let you know how it goes. I'm absolutely laughing so much because I was like, that is a great idea. And you're like, so, wait, (laughs) but am I silly? Don't magnets stick to your refrigerator? 
That's what I thought. But it's I thought I was going to get a, a, a sponge holder that would just have a magnet on the back and I just stuck it to my sink. But what I got was a sponge holder that has like a square on it. And then I got another square that I'm supposed to glue and it has to sit for like 48 hours. And then I'm thinking, so I can't use my sink for 48 hours because what if it gets water on it? And then I was thinking, do I tape plastic around that? Like, you know, when you have a cast and you have to take a shower. (laughs) This is a lot of work. That's very funny. I'm just imagining you just like sealing off the kitchen like no one can use the kitchen for the next 48 hours. No sink. No sink. But it'll be worth it. You can use everything but the kitchen sink. (laughs) Ah. Ah. (laughs) We have to tell people what we have this week. I mean, A, we have a great interview. And then B, I think we have our most exciting story time section of the season. What do we have going on this week? We are playing Dungeons and Dragons. Yes, it's unofficial. It's unofficial. Uh, (laughs) It's uh, we'll just call it D&D for short. This was so fun, and we assembled a true all-star crew to play with us. Um, people were so gracious to join us. It was very early in the morning also when we played <laughs> D&D, which felt, like, new for everyone. They are sort of like, never really played D&D, like, 10 a.m. Yeah, with a cup of coffee. Yeah, it was truly brunch, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but I was, I was going to say, like— I was so energized from playing it the rest of the day. I I was like, oh, that was so much fun. Like, it was kind of a great way to start the day. It was like, I totally got why people fall in love with D&D. But you also are just, like, very much a natural at this. (laughs) And no, I'm serious. Like, it was so fun playing with you. I had such a good time. Should we introduce the rest of our crew? Yes, let's. We played with Felicia Day from the show Supernatural, Buffy, and also one of the founders of Geek and Sundry. We also had Erica Ishii. If you're a gamer, you probably heard the news that she's voicing the brand new character Valkyrie in Apex Legends. And Jasmine Bular, a.k.a. That Bronze Girl, who you know from Critical Role and streaming on Twitch. Basically, for this D&D game, Jasmine wrote a cool story for us, and we're all going to play characters on an adventure. Oh, ah! So fun. The only thing that makes me sad is that this was a one-off because I kind of want to do this every week. And maybe it doesn't have to be a one-off. Hey, maybe, you know what? Maybe this is slowly becoming a D&D podcast. We've joked about that a lot. Yes. <laughs> I feel like we should explain to listeners why we're playing D&D. And it's because this is our game episode. We're going to talk to a game designer. And we thought it would be really fun to have story time be a game. But before we get to D&D, we're talking to a video game designer named Dr. Mitu Kandekar. She develops games, and she's a professor at NYU where she teaches game design and development. So we're going to get a better understanding of the creative and strategic thinking behind games. And we even pitch and brainstorm new game ideas with Mitu. All right. Now let's get to our interview with Dr. Mitu Kondekar. So let's talk about why humans are drawn to playing games. I love them. I'd love to hear your thoughts on them. You know, I think play is just part of our part of our instinct, right? 
So games have kind of always existed at that intersection between our sort of human sense of play and whatever the technology we have at the time might be. And that goes back to like when all mm -hmm. we had were, you know, uh, were just like bones to play with. <laughs> like yeah. The, because, yeah, early humans did make uh, playing pieces out of those, mm -hmm. right? So, you know, it's whatever... Um, whatever our sort of like latest technological ability is, we will find a sense of playfulness out of it, which is why I love video games. Like I see a direct line between like virtual reality and early knucklebone games because they are a part of that same continuum. Like we'll always do our best to, to bring a sense of play to, to, you know, tech or early tech. Um, but, you know, the other thing about games is that they're, and games and play is that they're a way to sort of, you know, they're, they're a way to express ourselves, right? So if you look at um, some of the earliest board games, like Senate, uh, which is, you know, the earliest known board game, um, which was found in Egypt, um, it's one of the things it represents is the sort of journey between uh, life and death, right? So mm. it's a way to represent um, the kind of, you know, religious or spiritual views of the time, um, and like allow you to sort of explore that and express that to each other. And that's what games have always done. Games will always give us a snapshot of whatever our, you know, present beliefs might be. And I think that's, mm. you know, one of the many reasons I love games. What's the longest you've ever played a game in one sitting, like sheer number of hours spent? Oh, wow. Gosh, I feel like I don't have the same sort of bandwidth and time to be able to do that as I did when I was younger. But honestly, like I used to go to, um, so back in the day, they were called LAN parties. Uh, land standing for local area network because that's when you would like take your computer and this is like when I was like in my teens so it was a while ago but you would take your computer your actual physical computer to like a place that other people were also playing games and you would just like hook into the network and you'd play multiplayer games like over like a whole weekend or like three days so I would say that that was <laughs> that wow. would probably be the longest like it was probably um Probably playing uh, something like Counter-Strike, like an early version of Counter-Strike. And for our listeners who have never played Counter-Strike, can you sort of describe the game for them? Yeah, so Counter-Strike is one of those um, sort of very, very standard, like first-person shooters, um, which, you know, I think that uh, I'm a little bit hesitant sometimes to tell that story because I feel like that kind of game, you know, just represents like what most people at least used to, I think, think of as like the default when it comes to games, like sort of, you know, the standard like military-esque sort of shooter, very much like military industrial complex, that kind of thing. But, you know, games are actually just so much more than that. Games are just, every, you know, just such an incredible, wonderful wide spectrum. So, yeah. Um, but, you know, I like to I like to play things across the board. So I'm very, very <laughs> versatile. Yeah, so we've been thinking about our own personal experiences with games and growing up and what are um, looking back. And I, I remember I had a Game Boy and I had a separate case with all my Game Boy games. And I was actually on a train in Europe with my family and we were robbed and they stole all my Game Boy games. Oh, <laughs> so I only had the one left that was in the Game Boy. And so... I wonder if that was sort of the beginning of the end of my game playing until I discovered Candy Crush and played it so much that um, <laughs> my friends said, you need to stop. <laughs> <laughs>
Oh, well, I, I'm sorry that games were like literally stolen from you. Like that. <laughs> I think I only had Tetris left. Oh, well, Tetris, Tetris is a good classic. I read that you were actually inspired to pursue game design by an episode of The (laughs) X-Files. That is true, yes. (laughs) So, uh, yeah, so interestingly enough, so again, you know, growing up playing games, weirdly enough, I didn't have, um, I just sort of thought that games grew on trees. Like I didn't, I was just like, okay, uh, like I didn't, I didn't know where (laughs) they came from or whatever, they just appeared. So I remember remember realizing that, oh, making games is an actual job that people do because of this one episode of The X-Files. It was one that was written by William Gibson, um, which was about this like virtual reality virus that was like killing people, like when you put a VR headset on. And Mulder and Mulder and Scully like went to investigate and they had to enlist the help of uh, this, this, you know, this character for this one episode who was supposed to be um, the best entertainment software developer they'd ever met, and it was a woman. And I was like, hmm, entertainment software developer, huh? That's an interesting, it's an interesting job. <laughs> um, and I think it probably, you know, I don't think I realized it at the time, but it probably did mean a lot to me that the first mm-hmm. kind of even fictionalized representation of a game developer I'd seen happened to be female. Representation matters so much um, because if it wasn't for just seeing that this is something that I could aspire to and be um, an actual game developer, not like a fictional character on the X-Files, then, you know, that that's something that, um, yeah, that it just sort of ended up impacting my life in this big way. So what's the path then to becoming a game developer? So you saw, you know, you saw this example on the X-Files of it that how did you figure out how to make that your job? So interestingly enough, I went to, I remember I went to school the next day and um, this was back when, uh, so my, my, in my high school, there was this like careers office, which is basically this room full of books on like, on how you get this particular job. So I like dug out this big tome and I was like, hmm, going to look for, to see if game developers in here. And it wasn't, unfortunately. <laughs> oh no. Um, and you know, at that time it was really just like the same path as becoming um, like a, like a computer programmer or a, just a, a general software engineer. And so I was actually getting into, I was getting into sort of playing around with code. So again, because of the X-Files, you could see this is a big part of my life when I was, when I was a kid. Um, I ended up like, this was the early days of when I first got online and I started teaching myself how to make websites. I must've been like, you know, 11, 12 years old. And the first website I made was this little X-Files fan site. Um, Is it still up? It's not. This was like ancient, ancient internet now. (laughs) But uh, so I learned HTML and JavaScript. And I just sort of loved that magic of typing in code and seeing it transform into something that people could interact with and look at. Mm-hmm. So that's what kind of got me hooked on the idea of coding. So I set upon the path to becoming sort of, um, you know, somebody who could be a games programmer or a general programmer. When I went to university, I decided to study um, computer engineering. There wasn't necessarily a path where you could study game development as like a specific Mm. thing when you go to college. Now Mm. that is a thing. And, you know, there are lots and lots of ways now to sort of pursue that, whether or not you do sort of a college degree. There's been kind of in the last decade, um, obviously a proliferation in in sort of, you know, ways to, to study how to become a game developer, either at, you know, through high school and college, 
or just by picking up tools that exist online. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. One of the wonderful things that's happened is there are just so many accessible ways now to just get into making games, even if it's not something that you've studied or is your background. So let's talk about the basic components of game design. Uh, I've always wanted to design my own game, but I always get stuck in one area, (laughs) which is the basic components of games are, for our listeners, there's space, components, mechanics, goals, and rules. I can make up rules all day, but the rest of it I have a hard time with. How do you balance these components? Definitely. So the way that I approach making games is, and especially if you have like a concept, right? And you're like, how do I turn this into a game or whatever? The best way to approach it is to use the framework of verbs um, or like Mm -hmm. actions. So let's say that you, um, you know, you're like, oh, I want to make a game about, uh, about love, let's say. Um, how, you know, I think the first thing to do is to break that down into, okay, well, what do you do in the game? Like as the player, or if there is a character in the game, like what does that character do? What are the abilities this character has? Um, is it, is one of the verbs, um, you know, it could be explore, it could be walk, it could be run, it could be jump, right? If you look at Mario, like this is a, uh, you know, this is the classic example. If you look at just Mario, the verbs that Mario has are run and jump Mm -hmm. right yeah Mm. and those verbs also are related to each other because um you know running uh like jumping and running um you know happen sort of together or separately and they build upon each other right you have to Mm. run and jump at certain certain platforms so that is a good way to sort of break down when something feels like oh it's this big like hazy problem think about Mm. what are the verbs in your game that's awesome I will be thinking about what the verbs are. It's probably going to be eat and sleep if it's my <laughs> if it's my game. But that's great, though. I would love to see more games about like eating and like like you know maybe sleeping could be an interesting verb. Like maybe there's a game where you know you go to sleep and you mm-hmm. know things change and there's like some kind of state change when a character yeah. is like asleep versus awake. So yeah. Ooh. There you go. Ooh. <laughs> Dreamscape, dream world. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, I I had an idea. In, will you tell me if this could actually be a game? Sure. Okay, life is a lizard. <laughs> that sounds awesome, actually. I would love to. Like, Low-key, I love games that where you're playing as, like, an animal of some kind um, or, like, a non-human character as well because they're, they're really interesting because you think about, okay, what are the verbs a lizard has, you know? And that's such an interesting place to start. Yes, I, I've said on this podcast that um, there's these lizards in my neighborhood that I've spent a lot of time looking at recently. And I once saw one of them eating a butterfly, which um, clearly I'm bringing it up now for the second time on the podcast. It made a big impact <laughs> on me. <laughs> I would love you know, well, What if you had a game that was about uh, playing as a lizard and you're just like trying to live as a lizard and you're, mm-hmm. but you're in this like human neighborhood trying to like find things to eat like butterflies but then you could have as well some like human narrative that's unfolding yes. in the background mm-hmm. but you're observing it from this lizard's point of view i love it okay great Ooh, i love point you know what okay and just to go back to what you said earlier about looking at things as having action as looking at games as um a series of action verbs mm-hmm. like starting from there and looking at what POVs we don't already have it's a great way to give people 
agency. You know what I mean? Mm. To like show a lot more agency because you're looking and you're saying, what can these characters do? I think Mm. that's... Ah, oh, that's very cool. Exactly, exactly. And yeah, that, that word agency is such an important word in game design because ultimately, like, that's what makes a game compelling. Like, giving mm. the player a sense of agency over the decisions they make, which is why, again, starting from verbs is so important because, you know, the player needs to have that agency to be able to make decisions about, you know, do they do this, do they do that, and feeling like there is some consequence for... Uh, you know, for their actions or, you know, for taking this decision versus that other decision. Um, but yeah. But Gillian, I'm, I'm so into your lizard game idea. You should, you should do it. All right. <laughs> I may need your help. Yeah. <laughs> okay. We had another game idea. We did a story about a scientist, Inga Lehman, who discovered the Earth's core has two components, a liquid outer core and a mostly solid inner core. So I wonder if we could do a game based on a journey to the center of the earth? How could we make that into a game? Ooh. Well, how do you get to the center of the earth in this game? Ooh, great that's, question. That's a great question. I think, I mean, I want to do something non-destructive. So like drilling seems like a bad destructive idea. Yes, Gillian, please. Volcano uh, portals? Volcano portals. Yes, actually. Yeah, that actually sounds very cool. (laughs) I love it. Yeah. So, yeah, I would think about the verb. So, yeah, drilling we don't want as a verb. Uh, But, yeah, perhaps uh, just transporting by these volcanoes. That could be be good. Okay. Is this going to be a mobile game or VR? Ooh. I would say I don't think I want the VR experience of going through a volcano. So maybe I'll keep that at a mobile game. <laughs> that might be slightly dizzying. Yeah, I can actually understand that maybe that would be slightly upsetting. I mean, but uh, the nice thing about a mobile game is it hopefully makes it more accessible to even more people. Mm-hmm. This volcano portal game is going to, we need a good name for it. Portal's already taken. Okay. Uh the world is lava. No. <laughs> the world is lava. I like that, actually. Is there a game that you wished existed when you were a kid? Was there like a game you would dream of that wasn't real? Well, I think that, you know, it's interesting because I think when you're a kid, you sort of, you know, you, you sort of accept what's given to you in a lot of ways. Right. So you sort of don't don't think about, um, oh, I wish this was this way or whatever. So. You know, I think about this a lot in terms of representation. Mm. So when I was a kid, I didn't see myself represented in a lot of games, right? Uh, or in or in any games, really. So I remember going through, and this is, I think, very typical for a lot of young girls at the time, like you, um, like playing Street Fighter, for instance, uh, on the Nintendo. I would always be like, wait, do I pick? Chun-Li, because she's like the only, she's the only girl here, yep. you know? Um, yep. Or, you know, as a little brown girl, I was like, oh, do I pick Chun-Li or or do I pick Dalsim, right? Who's like the only yep. other, like, yep. No, same thought know? process. Yeah. Yep, same thing. Yeah. So it was like Dalsim, who was like the, the um, you know, the South Asian representation or Balrog, who's like the, the, the black representation. It's just like, these were just like not great options um, when you're, you know, when you're a kid and you sort of don't think past that really. So you sort of accept like, oh, this is, this is who I have to pick from. Like, you know, and, and I think as I, as I got older, I was, you know, so I played so many games where I was asked to be some variation of some white male 
brown haired protagonist. Like that was the, the primary, <laughs> primary uh, sort of story I would play in a lot of games. And, you know, and I had fun with those games. Like I, I was always like, well, I have no issue. Um, I have no issue sort of empathizing with these characters and their stories. It was only later that I really got to asking, wait, why isn't anyone being asked to empathize with my story or like step into my shoes, right? Um, mm -hmm. And I feel like it took me a shockingly long time to sort of let myself ask that question because you're so, I think you're, you know, you, you almost start feeling like, well, if I'm not being represented, maybe it's because I don't deserve to be represented or something, right? So like, it does become this like, um, sort of almost like traumatic thing, I think, you know, as a, as a, as a sort of little brown girl growing up playing games. So now this is what I, I do. So, you know, among, among the many hats I wear, I'm also um, a CEO of a company which is specifically about making games to, to represent us, to tell stories about black and brown women, um, to, you know, just make sure that everybody is able to see their stories being told. That's awesome. And I just also want to confirm that I had the same experience with Mortal Kombat when I was like, okay, do I play Sonya or do I play Jax? Like, yeah. Uh, yeah. I don't quite see myself. So yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm right there with you. I also read that you're working on a game based on the show Insecure. Can you tell us about that game? Yeah, we're working on um, the official uh, official game around Insecure. So it's a free to play mobile game. It's going to be uh, it's going to be released later this year, and it's a it's a game in which you uh, you create your own character who's just moved to South LA. You don't know anybody, and then like Issa and and her friends take you in, and you sort of get to uh, get to establish yourself. Um, as somebody like that's a part of their friend group and the community. And one of the ways the story is told is that uh, there's these instances of rapping at yourself in the mirror, kind of what, <laughs> kind of how Issa does in the show. Um, and that's one of the ways that we tell the story because you're, you know, so we've built this um, interesting new rap rhyme mechanic for the game, which um, a lot of it was driven by our audio director, um, Samus, who is a professional rapper herself. So, you know, it makes us a very different kind of team uh, because we have a professional rapper on the team. But um, so, yeah, we're, we're really excited about that. Um, so we're, yeah, we're releasing that later this year. I'm excited for that game. It seems like it's going to be really fun. So in the show, Insecure, uh, Issa's character is kind of rapping to herself in the mirror. And it's a pep talk. You know, she's kind of mm -hmm. just trying to get herself hype. Um, do you ever talk to yourself in the mirror, Gillian? Okay. I vividly remember talking to myself in the mirror because I was very jealous of Macaulay Culkin's acting career as a child. <laughs> and I used to talk to Macaulay Culkin in the mirror and say... <sighs> I'm coming for you. <laughs> you wanted somebody to be like, Kevin, and talking about you. How about you? Do I ever talk to myself in the mirror? Yeah, mm -hmm. I talk. Uh, sometimes I get in the mirror and I look myself deep in the eyes and I yell, Kevin! <laughs> <laughs> kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> Let's pause the conversation and take a short break. We'll be right back. And we're back. I've read that you have a real interest in social simulation and novel interfaces. 
I think I know what that means, but I probably don't. Could you, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Could so, you explain? So the novel interfaces part. So I have a doctorate in designing games for novel interfaces and immersive interfaces. What that means is um, that when I did my PhD, it was about looking at um, what does it mean to design games where um, you're interacting in a way that incorporates your, you know, incorporates your body in interesting ways. Mm. Whether that is, you know, something like virtual reality or augmented reality, where your sort of sense of your body is like closer to being in the game because you're sort mm -hmm. of mapping your movements in, you know, mm -hmm. within the game. So it might be motion controls as well, right? Um, what does that do to our sense of decision-making in a game? What does that do to our sense of closeness to the story? Um, so that's what I did my doctorate in. Um, and, you know, I find it... I find it really interesting because, you know, these things do have an effect on how we perceive a story, like how close we feel to a story. The other interesting thing about it, though, is that we still know it's a story. So as part mm -hmm. of my PhD, one of the studies I did was looking at sort of how close we feel to this in-game character um, and what happens to her. Um, you know, whether we're in virtual reality or whether we're, um, you know, whether we're just playing with a traditional, traditional interface. Um, and one of the things that uh, really struck me is that, you know, people still, even if people are, feel super, super connected to a game, they still sort of pull back. Um, like, even if you're in virtual reality and you're like, I'm actually in this, this is like, you know, this is my life, etc you still have this sense of, oh, but I'm actually still playing a game. I just, mm -hmm. my sense of being close to it is, is, you know, this very interesting, malleable thing. And I actually think it's very similar to, like, when we go to see a movie and we, like, cry at a movie, right? We're sort of, you know, we, we are crying because, you know, we're, we feel attached to the characters, but we also know it's a movie. So, you know, our sense of, like, the way we relate to fiction, um, I think, you know, has a lot... Uh, that 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 also relates to sort of how we think about what we're doing in a game. And I just think that's such an interesting area to look at. Yeah, I'm also thinking of the difference between empathy and sympathy and mm. the ability to see someone's feelings and feel, yes, I understand your feelings, that's empathy, versus I'm sharing in your feelings, that's sympathy. Hmm. How do you want people to feel when they play one of your games? Ooh, that's a great question. I think it depends on the game. Um, mm -hmm. I think that one of the key things is that I want people to to feel like they're having an experience which you know they they haven't had before, and I think that's been a through line throughout some of my some of my work previously. Um, so my my first game that I worked on was a game called Red Shirt, which was um, this is touching on the social simulation stuff we were talking about before, where I was really interested in how do we explore the idea of relationship dynamics deeper than we usually do, which is just a question I'm very, very interested in. Like mm -hmm. tra traditionally, like characters in games have been, uh, you know, kind of, you know, one, not, not, not necessarily one dimensional, but, you know, you don't necessarily, you usually, you know, interact with them as a means to achieving something else in the game, mm -hmm. right? You're trying to like beat the game and this character is like a way to do that. And right. what that ultimately does is make, a character feel kind of disposable. You're not, you're not uh, interacting with them as an as an end in itself, and that's something that I was I was interested in, sort of you know, in, in disrupting a little bit. So in Red Shirt, the point of the game is to 
interact with people, but also it sort of critiques a little bit this idea of interacting with people as a means to an end. Uh, so that's one way in which I was like, this is something a little bit different. Um, in the Insecure game we're working on now, it's really about, you know, letting people ex feel themselves being represented in a game. And like, there, there haven't been a lot of games about, about, uh, about rap and hip hop before. So I'm really excited about doing that too. Can you explain, I, I'd never heard the term red shirt until I was reading about the game that you worked on. Can you explain what that is? Yeah, so red shirt was, so the, the term itself is from Star Trek. Um, so it's the characters in Star Trek, particularly in like the original, like Captain Kirk version <laughs> of, of Star Trek, where you knew, knew that if somebody was wearing a red shirt, that they would die that episode in some way. Like that was like the signifier. Oh. So it was like, the, the disposable <laughs> character. So in yes. the game, so it's become this sort of cultural shorthand for like the disposable character. So in the game, you're playing somebody who is one of these disposable characters and you're trying to like get past that. Um, so yeah, the game itself was sort of, it was basically like asking the question, what if, uh, what if Deep Space Nine had Facebook? Like that was basically what the game mm. was. <laughs> Wow. You know, I never knew that about Star Trek. And I'm just imagining the poor guest star who shows up, like, all excited for work to get their costume. And they're like, I thought my shirt was going to be blue. Um, what is your favorite part of game design? The beginning ideation phase is always fun, mm. right? Where you're sort of coming up with ideas and thinking about, okay, how do I make this into a game? Um, mm -hmm. How do you think about this concept or this idea in a way where you can make something interactive out of it that might be sort of a, uh, a compelling experience for somebody to play? Um, that's fun. And then also uh, sort of the, the end experience of sort of having somebody actually play your game, right? And actually seeing, because I, I think, and that sort of maps to that initial enjoyment I got out of sort of making X-Files websites where it's like, <laughs> I've coded this thing, I've made this thing, and now it's something that I can give to somebody to sort of enjoy and be a part of. Yeah. What, tell us about the middle part. The, yeah. the Well, <laughs> the middle part. <laughs> uh, the middle part. So, so game... Game development is such an interesting discipline because it combines so many different um, aspects, right? So, you know, I've been, uh, so I'm a, I'm obviously a programmer, a coder, um, and designer, but there's also, you know, there's narrative design, there's writing, there's, um, you know, there's the art, like the visual art side of things. All of these, you know, we, we use the term game design in a very broad way, you know, because game design is actually quite quite broad because mm -hmm. ultimately everything you put into a game, uh, whether it's the writing, whether it's the visuals, et cetera, they all could contribute to the final experience that somebody gets to play. So everything is kind of game design. But, you know, because there's so many different disciplines that you have to sort of uh, merge together, um, it can be a little bit sort of, um, you know, there's a lot of sort of uh, trying to figure out sort of what goes where and like how you make all these sometimes seemingly disparate things work together. So, you know, it is like making games, making games can be can be difficult, but a really fun kind of difficult, right? Because it is that kind of interesting challenge of how do you take this thing that you you want to feel a particular way for a player, but how do you actually make that happen through, mm -hmm. you know, just these completely unrelated uh, sort of uh, uh, aspects? Do you find that you are learning things from your students, like the questions they're asking you or the projects they're coming up were showing you maybe like 
new ideas or new paths for gaming? 100%. I mean, this is, uh, this is, this is one of the things I really love about, uh, love about teaching, which, you know, so I, you know, I'm lucky enough to, to be able to do both, which is teach and be a professional game developer. And I actually don't see much difference between the two a lot of the time, because, Mm -hmm. you know, they're both about working with other people and like, you know, collaborating with them to, to basically make games. Like I'm doing that in, at Glow Up Games, I'm doing that in my capacity as a professor at NYU Game Center. So yeah, it's always about just like, you know, sharing ideas with people. And I get ideas, you know, as well from what people are doing and just new ways to approach things. Um, But the other part of it, I'll say is that, yeah, like teaching the next generation of game developers, like helps give me energy all the time because, there are so many wonderful new ideas there's so many new perspectives and you know i'm just really excited about the future of the industry well thank you so much by the yes. way yes of course yeah this is a lot of fun and i'm really again gillian super excited about this lizard game i would love to <laughs> yes all right you'll be hearing more from us about the lizard <laughs> Okay, let's take one last break. Then we're playing D&D. Woo! We'll be right back. Hi, everyone. Welcome to a special edition of Storytime. This week, we're playing Dungeons and Dragons. Woo! We're joined by Felicia Day, Erica Ishii, and Jasmine Bular. Oh, we're so excited. Hello. Welcome. I'm so excited. It's going to be great. It's going to be a blast. <laughs> Before we get started, can everyone identify their voices? You know, I'm Erica. I'm Jasmine. I'm Felicia. So the listeners know who's who. Hi, I'm Erica. Hello, I'm Felicia Day. Hello, I'm Jasmine, that bronze girl Bular. Okay, Deanna here. I'm just going to do a very, very quick primer of D&D. D&D stands for Dungeons and Dragons. It's technically an RPG, which stands for a role-playing game. And that's where you pretend to take on a character so that you can go on adventures. We have what's known as a DM or a dungeon master, who's kind of like the lead storyteller who's telling us the scenario. We're not competing with one another. There isn't a winner in the end. The point of the game is to go on epic adventures. So we each have our own unique characters. And when we want to take an action for the game or even just want to save ourselves from getting hit by something, we have to roll a dice to see if we succeed. And I promise it is okay if that didn't make any sense. It's okay if you're like, this is too many acronyms. The story is still really fun to listen to. I promise it's okay if you don't get all the rules, really. Ah, I'm sorry. I'm so excited. I can just barely talk. Some of us have a character that we've been playing multiple times, but Gillian's still new to the game. And so she's going to create a brand new character for this game. I'm so excited, but I don't know what I'm allowed to do or not do in the game. Can you help me with that? To new players, I always say when they say, well, can I do this? I always say, assume you can. And as the DM, it's my job to tell you how it happens. Like anything you want to do in this game, you can do. If you see a candle on a table and you want to throw it at someone, you can do that. (laughs) If you want to kill someone, you can do that. If you want to save someone, you can do that. If you want to sit and bake a cake while your party battles, you can do that. And I will guide you through this process. (laughs) All right. I'm feeling excited. Okay. Let's get into it. All, All right. right. I guess the most important thing is, what is your character's name? Oh, um, what about um, Brian? Brian. 
A fine and noble name, Brian. Strong name, strong name. Brave, 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 so Brian. I'm thinking Brian is maybe um, an elf. Okay. Or a half-elf. There's a lot of different kinds of elves. Um, oh, there are. Yeah, I well, I instinctually picked wood elf just because I great. assume. Yeah, okay. And this gives you some perks. Um, being a wood elf mm. means you're extra dexterous. You can see in the <laughs> dark. You have very keen senses and fey ancestry, which means it's difficult for you to be charmed. Okay, great. Now we've got your class. I know initially mm. you were leaning towards rogue. Are we still leaning that way? Yeah, it feels right. It feels right. Great. So as a rogue, you're actually proficient in four things, which is is pretty good. Proficiency just means these are things that you're extra adept at, uh, skills you've honed. Um, We've got acrobatics, which is, you know, flips, dodges, Mm -hmm. things like that. (laughs) Athletics, which is more feats of strength, Um, deception, lying, liar, Uh Uh, insight, reading people. Intimidation, investigation, performance, persuasion, sleight of hand is how good you are at picking pockets and Uh um, being good with your hands. And stealth, which is hiding. Uh, Of these, you get to pick four that you think your character, you think Brian is just like extra good at. Uh, Probably I'm going to say intimidation, persuasion, um, sleight of hand, and acrobatics. Perfect. I don't know if the, I'm doing this correctly or not. No, no correct. Brian There's is no correct. Okay. There's no right answer. You just be Brian. Okay. <laughs> I'm just Brian. I would hang out with Brian. Okay, good. <laughs> yeah. And now uh, we get to choose our background. What do you think Brian did before he decided to go to brunch with us this morning? Oh, great. Um, I think he was a uh, criminal spy. Oh, okay. Perfect. That's it. All right, so we've made Brian. Yay, Brian! Brian. So we shall start with Brian. Brian, you've received a very special gilded invitation in the mail to an advance viewing, a special brunch of Saucy Serafina's variety show. Normally, this is something that takes place in the evening, but to a very select few, she has opened her beautiful show in the nearby Sarsaparilla Cafe mm-hmm. for an advanced viewing. Um, and and all of you have been invited, but Brian, you are the first one there. Brian, 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 Brian chants Brian. his own name. Brian, <laughs> Brian. <laughs> Sissy is very excited to come along with you. Brian. Yes, Sissy, as you're waiting outside the beautiful lavender painted shop of the Sarsaparilla Cafe, you do see a wood elf chanting, Brian, Brian, walking up to the front door with you. Hello, self. How are you doing? Do you have a special invitation as well? Brian does. Yes, yes. Is that what I do now? Do I talk? Yeah. Yes. Yes. I'm very excited. I just came back from a trip in the ruins and I killed many half... I mean, it was great. <laughs> oh, <laughs> wink, wink. I'm I'm a thief. Um... <laughs> Usually people don't just say that out loud. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes. Uh, I, I'm, I used to be a thief. Mm-hmm. Well, if you touch me, I will take off your limbs. Nice to meet you, Brian. Oh, 
pleasure is all mine. Brian backs away slowly. And probably backs directly into Jerry I was going to say, oh. yeah, you see a, a halfling behind you uh, that you almost stumble over as you're backing away from Sissy. Greetings. I'm Brian. Hi. I heard. Drayla. Pleasure, pleasure to meet you, Drayla. Have you have you attended uh, this this brunch before? No. Why? Uh, it was my first time. Uh, I'm excited, but I'm also uh, a little nervous. I don't know. Uh, I'm I'm hungry. You? Hmm. Interesting. Drayla is a halfling of few words. Oh. <laughs> I'm a Brian of many. Uh, you hear a clip clop of boots behind you as we see uh, a uh, tabaxi. Am I correct at that? Yes, <laughs> a that is correct. Approach. Um, so it's a very large ginger feline, you see, uh, with with just wearing these like thigh high boots. Oh, well, hello, darlings. Is, are you here for the brunch as well? I've only been to the evening time show, but I do love a good brunch. I'm Bootsy, the cat in flats. <sighs> charmed, I'm sure. I- I'm Brian. Very charmed. Well, aren't you just a lovely drink of water, Brian? And hello, sissy. I'm lizard folk, as you can see. Yes, yes, that's lovely, lovely. And uh, my my friend, here you are. Drayla. Drayla. Ah, the strong and silent type. Love it, love it. All right, shall we go in? As you say this, all of you make a dexterity saving throw. Ooh. Oh, what? Oh, right off the top. <laughs> oh, uh, uh, 15. Sissy awesome. rolled a six. <laughs> and what did Drayla get? Drayla got an 11. An 11. And Bootsy? Uh, 17. 17. Whoa. So yeah. Drayla, Ooh. Sissy, you take four bludgeoning damage as the two double doors swing open. <laughs> <laughs> With great pomp and fair, and the rest of you are hit with almost like a wave of confetti and a, a, oh. a, a thick smell of lavender as you are greeted with the sight of a beautiful dragonborn. Their skin is is like blue, like a like a the most clearest of skies. Big hair, bigger eyeliner, a big dress. Everything is just immaculate with eleven inch tall heels. And with one hand, they beckon to you all and say, I am Sassy Serafina. Steam rising from their nostrils. Welcome to my variety show. Wow. What an entrance. And then marking that they have knocked two of you down, she quickly goes and helps you up. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't see you there. Sissy likes what she sees. (laughs) Drayla is completely charmed. Come in, come in. She sashays in through the door 
and you are greeted with a beautiful sight. All of the tables in this cafe have been covered with beautiful brocade tablecloths. There's a candle on every single table. The stage is a beautiful gleaming black color that reflects the stage lights above it, which are like little fairy lights and, and these beautiful like Turkish style lanterns hanging from the ceiling. Um, and you can smell sausage and bacon and breakfast cooking. Uh, a tray of mimosas goes by and Sassy effortlessly picks one up and then gestures to all of you. A drink. Uh, is it included or is it, do I have to pay extra? <laughs> it's included in the cover. <laughs> okay, great. I recently got 400 gold from a ruins. Everyone can have a drink on me. <laughs> <gasps> Oh, I'll have two then. And Sissy goes over and literally eats 40 sausages. <laughs> <laughs> it's a buffet, is it not? <laughs> That's right, Sissy. Get your money's worth. The buffet tray of sausages is rapidly... Uh, you know, consumed and uh, Sassy seats you at her finest table near the stage and actually takes a seat next to you and says I'm so pleased you could make it today. I fear that I'm not sure the show will be able to go on without your help. Oh, mm-hmm. uh, but that isn't that the saying though, darling, that the, the show must go on, No. Well, I hope you can get it running. You see, I got this letter today, and she shows you all uh, a letter that looks like it was at one point nailed into the door, but then ripped off. And she kind of gives you a brief overview of it, like tossing it probably to you, Drela, since you look to be the most serious of the bunch, and says, there's this group called the Red Hat Society or something like that. I don't know. Crimson Cuff Society, Scarlet Saber. I don't know. But they told me that if I didn't pay them protection money, they were going to do everything in their power to make sure that tonight's show didn't happen. And let me tell you, Sassy doesn't let anybody get a coin of hers that didn't work for it. And, well, everything that could go wrong this morning went wrong. Half of my performers are sick. The contortionists have some type of stomach flu. I don't even know if the fire eaters can eat the fire today because there's some type of drama happening over there. And the unagi for tonight's dinner, well, someone cast Revivify on all of them and now they're running amok in the kitchen. Oh no, they taste very good with a little bit of teriyaki sauce. (laughs) I like them fresh, Mm. yes. Drayla looks at the letter and says, when did you get this? Last night. Right before the evening show. Hmm. Interesting. Is there like a streetwise thing we could do? Or what kind of check we could do if we know what this organization is? Yeah, give me a, let's see, an invest. Well, I don't know if an investigation would be the one here. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Is it yeah. just like general knowledge of the area? Kind Maybe of? history? History. Okay. I'll do a history check. I got a eight. <laughs> Sissy is more preoccupied with much bigger fish to fry and eat. You've never heard of these nobodies. How, maybe I know them. How do I do that? Um, so on your skills, which is going to be that middle column on your sheet, mm-hmm. um, just go and click on the number next to your history. It should be... Oh, yeah. <laughs> but if you click that number, it'll oh. roll the dice and tell oh. you what you get. Oh, uh, I have a 10. I have a 10. 
So yeah, you've you've maybe heard of them in passing, but you don't really know anything about this organization or how they operate. Mm. Well, none of us know who these nobodies are, mm. but uh, we'll be damned if our brunch is spoiled. I already ate. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, that's right. Sissy is already all in on this. But listen, what can we do to help? And what's the pay? Oh, great hmm. question. Well, for pay... Well, if I pay you as much as they wanted in protection, I feel like I'm still coming out behind. So I'll give you half. 100 gold for all of you. And free tickets to the dinner show. And I would remind you, inviting Sissy for free to the dinner show, that's already taking a big chunk out of my bottom line. <laughs> Is there more s s sausage No, but there will be eel. Mm, sign me up. Uh, I have nothing going on, so sure. Oh, bless your heart, child. Drayla gives a slight nod. Well, I don't know where you want to start, uh... Things are running amok in the kitchen. Uh, the fire eaters are reporting some type of problem with their rehearsal. And the contortionists are, I don't know, not contortioning. And I heard that our, well, I don't know exactly what to call her. We have an act where this lovely half-elf suspends herself from the ceiling with her hair and does an acrobatics routine. Apparently, someone convinced her or charmed her this morning to cut her hair off. So, whichever oh, no. one of those you would like to tackle, uh, we need something to put on the stage tonight. I can't possibly get by just lip-syncing by myself for 45 minutes. Oh, well, it seems like the most immediate problem here is the kitchens, because those need to be in functioning order right at this moment, right? So... I will leave you to it, Bootsy. Oh, thank you, darling. And she gets up to go tend to other matters and motions you in the direction of the kitchen. Dear listeners, if you felt like that wasn't enough D&D, don't worry. Next week, we're going to release the full game. Okay, so now I get to ask you, for your first time playing D&D, how was it? It was so much fun. And I was in awe of everybody else's knowledge of the game. Like, how long have you been playing your character? I've only been playing Drayla for about a year now. So not super long. Will you play this character for years? Like, how long do you play one specific character? Well, it depends on how long your campaign is. That's how long your particular recurring game is with one particular adventure. You can take characters from one campaign and put them into another. It just kind of depends. I love playing Drayla, so I'm probably going to keep playing her for a really long time. <laughs> but also, I got to tell you, your character was so fun. I loved, loved the choices you were making. As soon as you said his name, I was like, that's Perfect. <laughs> Do you have a game memory like that you really treasure? Oh, yeah. I loved playing um, arcade games with my cousin, Andy, the material scientist. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Hi, Andy. Um, and I have very fond memories of going on vacation with him and playing arcade games. How about you? 
Uh, I have really fond memories of playing D&D during this pandemic with friends and feeling like it was a way to keep connecting to people. And also like there was a world outside of my apartment walls. (laughs) Should we read some reviews? Yes, let's. One is from A. Marie L.B., who says, Stellar, the interviewers tackled fascinating topics with humor and make difficult topics understandable. As someone who never did well in science at school, this is the kind of conversation and content I needed. Like using the example of music and Louis Armstrong to explain the theory of relativity. I am so excited for more. That was, oh, that was such a brilliant explanation from Dr. Ramirez. Thank you so much for the review. Yes, Dr. Ramirez using Louis Armstrong to explain the theory of relativity and her book, The Alchemy of Us, was a true game changer for me. Same. Same. Yay! (laughs) Thank you. All right, here's another great one from Danielle Richard. You guys, I was sitting in a waiting room working on a crochet project and listening to the latest podcast episode when the topic of coral reefs turn to using math to crochet about coral reefs. <laughs> what are the odds? My mind was a little blown in the best possible way. Ah, <laughs> uh, yay! Yes! Hey, please rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts. We might read your comments on the show. Yes. This podcast is produced by Tamika Weatherspoon. Our engineering and theme music is by Brendan Burns. Our editor is Tracy Samuelson, and we get research assistance from Juliana Torres. Our executive producers are Peter Clowney and Josephine Martirana. Periodic Talks is a production of Stitcher. Stitcher. 